We've had the opportunity over the last two Lord's Days to be looking into the book of Daniel. And this morning we're finishing what we began last week, which was looking through Daniel 7 and discovering what's known as the traditional view, the traditional interpretation of Daniel 7, which is a recapitulation view of Daniel 7. It's a consecutive view um, that mirrors um, Daniel chapter 2, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And so we looked at that last week, kind of showed you the chart here again. So here you've got Daniel chapter 2, and you've got Babylon, the head of gold, Medo-Persia, the arms and chest of silver, the Grecian Empire of bronze, and then the two legs, uh, the Roman Empire, that then has a historical context, but then there's a break in history we see in the flow of this as we were going through Daniel 2, and there's seemingly a revived Roman Empire that comes out from the toes, <clears throat> the ten toes off this statue, um, and then that entire statue is uh, completely demolished with the stone that's cut without hands. And it says in Daniel 2 that there's going to be a kingdom of heaven that gets established <clears throat> and that it will become a mountain that fills the entire world, the kingdom of Christ, forever and ever with no end. And so Daniel 7 recapitulates that. Daniel 7 retells, in essence, the same flow of history, but from a different perspective. And so we started in Daniel 7, two Sundays ago, and this is our third. And last week, um, in viewing this traditional view, the recapitulation view, we got all the way to verse 15. And so we're going to be picking up this morning in verses 15 down through verse 28 um, to try to give more understanding of this view because in the latter portion of this from verses 15 down through verse 28 we get a lot more detail than we got in Daniel chapter 2 with regard to the Antichrist and the one world governing power that will be on the world at that time. So I want us to make our way through these verses and continue to make these connections and Again, when we get to the end of this, hopefully it will make a little more sense in terms of it, the, the urgency of our knowing this information. And perhaps today, uh, if the good... I feel like I just went silent. What happened? Something just changed drastically. But for the good, it seems, my ears aren't buzzing. How about yours? They fixed it. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And for using Benjamin to do that. So we're going to make our way from verses 15 to the end, but if we have time where I was headed, um, if we have time, I put together, um, <laughs> I almost chuckle in saying this to you, if we have time, I put together um, a walk through Revelation 13 for, um, after, after Daniel 7 today, uh, because in Revelation 13, we get even more refined information with regard to the exact same kingdoms that are on the earth that Daniel sees in his vision. John has a vision of this exact same time and this exact same kingdom. And so whether it's this week or next week, 
We will also make our way through Revelation 13 because there's some refined information in Revelation 13 that is very pertinent for us as well. So this morning, let's pick up in Daniel 7, beginning here in verse 15. Let's see what Daniel continues to see. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all this. So rather than taking the time this morning and going back and re-looking at all of the things that Daniel had delineated in his, uh, in his vision, he asked one who was standing by, an angelic bystander, Daniel had some questions of the meaning of everything that he has seen. This is why I refer to the, Lord, the, the bottom portion of Daniel 7 as a divine interpretation of the information of the vision that Daniel has seen. So he approached one of those, verse 16, who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. And so the, the interpretation that we read from the angelic bystander that gave Daniel this information, we can know for certain, which is one of the things that's a benefit in this end-time visions that Daniel's getting. Even from chapter 2, we have divine interpretations, and Daniel here is given the same. So let's notice, as we continue on, what this angelic messenger says to Daniel. Look at verse 17. His reply, so he, so he told me, back here in 16 again, so he told me the interpretation to these things, and so we pick up with that. So here's the angelic messenger speaking to Daniel. These great beasts, again, which we saw in the earlier portion of Daniel 7, <clears throat> the four beasts, the, the lion, the bear, the leopard, and then the fourth beast, which was exceedingly more um, uh, horrifying from Daniel's perspective than the preceding three. These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth. So you may recall from verse 3 that these four great beasts were coming up from the sea. You may remember that from the waters. And here we see again affirmed for us that the imagery of the great sea from earlier in verse 3 is indeed the great sea of humanity. Four kings, individuals, and thus four kingdoms that are of the earth, peoples of the earth. And in the recapitulation model, that would again correlate, as we just looked at, with the Babylonian kingdom, the Medo-Persia kingdom, the Grecian kingdom, and the Roman kingdom. Okay, then... He continues with this divine interpretation in verse 18. Notice what he says. After saying that these are four kings who will arise from the earth, he says, but, but the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. So here in verse 18, Daniel is made sure of the fact that that the eternal kingdom of the Son of Man, which we saw earlier in verses 13 and 14, the Son of Man that went before the Ancient of Days and was given a kingdom that would last forever and ever there in verses 13 and 14, that is going to be an eternal kingdom. 
4, it says right here, for the saints of the highest one will receive this kingdom forever, for all ages to come. Daniel can be firmly assured of this fact, as can we. That the saints of the highest one, one day, will receive an eternal kingdom for all ages to come. So, if I were to ask you the question, has this kingdom come yet? Are we living currently in this eternal glorious kingdom that will endure forever and ever to the glory of, and praise of God's name? Are we there yet? No, we're clearly not. Which lets us know that what Daniel is seeing by, and, and also the, the divine interpretation that he receives from Daniel's viewpoint is still something future. And as we have hooves on the ground today in 2022, we would say if we were just to peruse human history, we would probably affirm that we have not seen this yet. Which would mean even from our perspective, this kingdom that has, that's been assured here to Daniel that the saints of the highest one are going to possess forever and ever is still yet a future reality. And it's at this point we see that Daniel... Um, remembers that he has more questions. It's kind of what we might refer to as clarifying questions. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody? They give you the information. So verses 17 and 18, the angelic messenger gives Daniel a very, if you will, rudimentary, basic understanding of this amazing vision that he has. So Daniel now has some clarifying questions that he's wanting more <clears throat> information about. And we see this beginning in verse 19. Notice Daniel's clarifying questions. He says, then, Daniel says, then I desire to know the exact meaning. So what do we see Daniel doing here? Daniel's pressing in. The exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, and which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet. Verse 20 and the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, and before which three of them fell, namely, that horn which had eyes, that had eyes and a mouth uttering great boast, and which was larger in appearance than its associates. Here we see that Daniel turns his interest specifically to understanding the fourth beast, which uh, as he says here, was different from Daniel's perspective and his vision was different from all the others, all the other four beasts, three beasts previously that he had seen. And here in the description of the other horn, as it's described here, and an, another horn, and the other horn which came up. So there were, verse 20, ten horns that were on its head, and then it says, and the other horn. So Daniel is narrowing in on the exact meaning of the fourth beast and then even more particular of the other horn not the ten particularly but the other horn that came up among them before which three of them fell namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts and which was larger in appearance than its associates so this other horn, by contrast to the description that we see of this same horn in verse 8, you may remember in Daniel 7, 8, this horn was described as what? 
a little horn. Remember that? Well, you can go back and look. And now it's said to be a larger horn, larger in appearance than its associates. So even within the context and the, the confines of Daniel's vision, it seems that the little horn that was overpowering the three horns has already grown in perspective and Daniel's focus is wanting to have more detailed information on that one now that's larger in appearance than its associates. Daniel is focused on understanding the meaning of that horn. The one that had the eyes like the eyes of a man and who had the mouth speaking great boasts. So in verse 21, let's keep moving. Daniel says, I kept looking and that horn, that other horn that rose amongst the ten horns, that other horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. Verse 22, until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. So this other horn is seen in Daniel's vision as one waging war with the saints of God. And it says very specifically, and overpowering them. It's important to understand that in Daniel's vision, Daniel sees this one other horn that we're going to discover is the Antichrist. Many Antichrists have arisen, but this is the Antichrist. The world ruler that's going to be risen up at the end of this, this age that we're living in. The one whom Satan is going to give his authority and power to, to wage war against the saints. And there will be a brief period of time, and I don't know how brief, I don't know the, the length of that period of time, that that horn, that world leader, the Antichrist, will be able to overpower the saints of the Most High. In other words, there is a time coming where there's going to be great Antichrist persecution against the people of God on this earth prior to the coming of Christ and the establishment of that kingdom that the saints will possess forever and ever. It's important that we understand this. Now, beginning with verse 23, we get the inspired interpretation regarding this fourth beast that Daniel is very interested in and the things which he has seen. Thus, verse 23 he said, the angelic bystander, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, <clears throat> which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. This fourth beast, this fourth kingdom is going to tread down the entire nations of the earth. And destroy it, crush it. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings will arise. So the ten horns, nothing fancy there. They're just ten kings, ten world, ten world rulers that will arise. And another will arise after them. And another will arise after them, the other horn. And he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. So more 
information regarding the fourth beast. This Roman Empire will be different from the other kingdoms. And the way it's different is that there's going to be a revival of this Roman Empire that's going to be composed of ten kings that we've previously referred to as perhaps a revived European League of Nations comprised of ten sovereign nations banded together for a common good, one for the other, much like what we see in our modern concept of NATO, which seems to be getting some press here of late and the need for one looking after the other in case there comes a world war. And from within this alliance, of which there will be ten primary leaders, but we see that there's not just, it's not just an alliance of ten nations. There are other nations, but there's going to be ten primary leaders. There's going to arise, as we saw, the other horn, which we saw in verse 20, that is going to successfully put down three of the more dominant world leaders within this alliance, while at the same time garnering the support it would seem, of the other seven nations. And it's this horn, this leader, who will be, again, the end-time Antichrist. And as the text shows, this kingdom will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it, as it says right there at the end of verse 23. From this beast will come one who will tread down the entire world. A truly one world governing power. And in order to make it happen, he's going to violently subdue all the other world powers until there's an alliance amongst those nations with regard to the vision that he has for world dominion. And make a note, the description that Daniel has just been given of this fourth beast, um, this description, again, has not yet been seen in human history, has it? We have had people try to go back in human history and have scoured human history in, in the time of the Roman Empire, in the time of the Roman Kingdom, to see if there was ever some kind of an alliance like this with ten other nations that formed and three kings got subdued by another king that kind of brought them all together, and then crushed down the entire world. Well, you can go back as far as you want in world history. You can go back to 70 AD. You can go back further. You do not see anything like this in human history. We haven't seen this yet either. It's not an indication that it's not going to happen, but what it lets us know is that it's still yet future. We're still waiting to see the formation of this Truly one world governing power, a truly united nations with one leader who's the leader amongst the other leaders, who subdues three of them probably because they had a differing vision than he had with regard to their alliances. And he overpowers those three nations and the other seven succumb and get in marching order with this end time beast this leader, the Antichrist. Haven't seen him yet, but he's coming. And it's this one who will, notice verse 25, it's that one, that other horn, that's larger in appearance than its associates now, 
Verse 25, he will speak out against the Most High. He's the one that will wear down the saints of the highest one, as we saw there in verse 18. Again, Daniel, here Daniel sees the other horn, the Antichrist, as it says, speaking out against God Most High and waging war with the saints and overpowering them, as we saw in verse 21 of Daniel 7. Now, it's interesting to bring in a, 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 another text from the New Testament that seems to be the correlation of what's happening right here and what Daniel is seeing in Daniel's vision, which would take us to Matthew chapter 24 and the Olivet Discourse. And without walking through the entirety of the Olivet Discourse, let me just show you what verse 9 says that brings in alignment some conformity with this one who speaks out against the Most High and wears down the saints of the highest one. In Matthew 24, Jesus himself speaks of this very time when during the time of Daniel's 70th week, which we haven't got to yet because that's in chapter 9 of Daniel. We will get there. In the time of Daniel's 70th week, which is the last seven-year period of the, this human era that we're living in currently, the human age of history that we're currently living in that's prior to the second coming of Christ, when this Antichrist is going to violently turn against the people of God, against Christians worldwide, and then be delivering them over to tribulation. We see this here in Matthew 24, 9. Then they will deliver you to tribulation. This is Jesus speaking when his disciples were asking, what are some of the signs of the, and the timing of your coming in the Olivet Discourse? Let me encourage you to go and read that in its entirety. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. So make no mistake, the believers, the people of God, the saints, will be hated by all nations, by all the nations. It seems to be a reference to those united nations that was seen by Daniel in Daniel seven twenty three. This is what Daniel is seeing in his vision long before it comes to pass. Daniel saw this little horn waging war with the saints and overpowering them, putting them to death. And notice again from verse 9 in Matthew, the saints of the highest one will be hated by all of the nations. All the nations, not just Rome. This isn't just going to be a a Roman Empire that turns and destroys Christians in 70 A.D. because Nero or Titus thought that the Christians were to blame for the, the burning of Rome. All the nations, it says. You will be hated by all nations. This great persecution of God's saints at the hands of the little horn is fueled by the hatred of all the nations on earth. All of those united nations that this one world leader has brought together in one world power. All of them, all of whom at this time, it seems, will all be under the mark of this very beast. And are thus dependent on him for their existence and their lives. Their livelihood. Their ability to 
buy and sell goods and to basically enjoy their existence on earth as they previously had known. Keep looking in verse 25. Notice what it says next. There in Daniel, in Matthew 9, 24, 9, we see this exact same thing, but it continues. Look, 25, he will speak out against the most high and wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law. The he here again is the the horn, that other horn that rose up and subdued three nations and brought into conformity the united nations that he now leads and is head over. He will intend to make alterations in times and in law. And seeing that these alterations in times, and this word times is sometimes translated as seasons, making alterations in seasons and in law, it's going to have a global impact. And as such, it's difficult to delineate on what all the impact implications and impacts of these alterations in seasons or in times might be making reference to. But it's without question that the intentions of the Antichrist is to make alterations in customary seasons that differing nationalities celebrate as part of their unique heritage and culture. And in the laws of men within those unique heritages and cultures. He is seeking conformity to his one world view and vision. But it seems certain that the universal global economy by which everyone on earth will be made to follow will be this beast's vision, his global economy. Because all people to receive, uh, in, in order for people to do business, again, buy and sell goods, the beast is going to cause people, force people, if you will, to receive his mark in order to continue with their lives, to participate in his global economy and to have the right to buy goods that would be needed for your family, like food or perhaps your housing that can and will be taken away if you don't conform. Your transportation etc., etc., we could go down a list of things, uh, will be predicated on you possessing or individuals possessing the mark of this beast. And I don't know if you've perhaps noticed any similarities or not over the past couple of years, but 2020 and 2021 as a result of COVID, whether you believe it was a planned demic or simply an accidental uh, environmental uh, happening that just unfortunately um, was meted out on the entirety of the world. The entire world has just recently gone through a trial run of what it might look like to require the entire world population to do something as an edict passed down from less than benevolent governments. And in many places, if certain markers weren't met, you were restricted or flat out prohibited from participating in a once free market society. And many people were even denied their right to lawful employment. You might think of that as some kind of a preconditioning for a global mindset that will be needed 
to bring an entire united nation under one leader. As a matter of fact, and I know this may seem, and it does pale in comparison, but it's an example that I'm using. There's, there's an NBA basketball player named Kyrie Irving who plays for the Brooklyn Nets, and to this very day, to this day, he is prohibited. He is denied the right to play basketball in the city of New York simply because he refused to get vaccinated. His employment has partially been taken away. Other cities have given him a reprieve. So when he plays away games, he's allowed to play. But when he's in New York City, he is not allowed to play. As a matter of fact, the, the, the Brooklyn Nets made the grave error of allowing Kyrie Irving on one particular home game here recently in the last week. He's allowed to go to the arena and to sit in the stands with all the other unmasked fans now. But they made the grave mistake of allowing Kyrie to go into the locker room. $50,000 fine. Benevolent governments. Looking out for your, for your own good, right? We might need to consider what we've recently lived through over the past two years as a preconditioning for that which is yet to come that will be way more severe. And the implications of it will be very staggering indeed. And this is just one of the reasons it's important to understand and know Daniel's prophecy. It's important to know that this persecution and tribulation was foretold in advance. And it's also important to know that that's not the end of the story. That the best is yet to come. Remember verse 22? Backtracking here. Briefly, verse 21, I kept looking and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. Right here. <laughs> Until. It's important to know this. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of that eternal kingdom that we first saw in Daniel 2 and that we've been seeing very plainly in Daniel chapter 7. God's people must remember that God is sovereign. The Ancient of Days will pass judgment and He will establish the kingdom of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. And that His saints, the true saints of God, those who have bent the knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ will be partakers of this eternal kingdom with Christ forever and forever. I don't have time to go to 2 Thessalonians 2 right now, but you can go and read 2 Thessalonians 2. But there's two precursors that are evidence there before the great coming day of the Lord. You know what the first one is? It's referred to as a great apostasy. Before the great and coming day of the Lord, there is going to be a great apostasy, meaning I think there's going to be a, a separation of sheep and goats just within the church, an initial separation between nominal Christianity and genuine Christianity. 
Because let me tell you, when the persecution of the Antichrist hits, and your livelihood is dependent on you getting his mark in order to do business, it's going to be a, se- a separation of nominal sheep and true sheep. But it says right there in Second Thessalonians, before that great day of the Lord comes, there will come a great apostasy first. There's going to be a mass turning away from Christ. So my encouragement to those of us here this morning, not many, but at least you know, is prophesied in advance. A time such as this is coming. We may live the course and the duration of the rest of our lives and not see this at all. We might only see precursors and preconditioning things that are happening like we're seeing now. That might be the only thing we see. That's in God's timing and God's plan. Amen? It's not for us to know the time or the hour. It's not. But if we're on planet Earth and we are alive and we see some of these things and we haven't got to them all yet, but you see these things and you're given the, the decision to take the mark and to make your life easy, my recommendation to you is to not take the mark. Don't think, well, I'm just going to kind of pretend like I'm not in. I'm really in, but I'm going to pretend like I'm not in because I want to spare my life and the, and, the, and the preciousness of my wife and my kids. Lisa and I were talking about this this week, and she was reading. Don't, I didn't ask her what book she was reading, but she came back into my study, and she said, Ben, she said, um, I was just reading, and, it's, and history says, history says of Peter's wife, that, they, cruci- that they, they put her to death before they put Peter to death. And history says that right before they put Peter's wife to death, His last words to her were these, which might be good words for us to remember as well. Remember the Lord. And then they put her to death. And then they crucified him. And at his request, he asked not to be crucified like his Lord. And so they crucified him upside down on a cross. So if you perhaps are caught under the great persecution of the Antichrist and they somehow sniff you out, remember the Lord. Persevere all the way to the end. And by way of encouragement, let me encourage you, I don't have time right now to go through Revelation 2 and 3 in the seven churches. But just peruse those this afternoon in your casual Sunday afternoon reading. At the end of every one of the angelic message to the churches, it says, to those who overcome will be granted to eat from the fruit of the tree of life in the kingdom of God. To those who overcome will not face the second death. All seven of those give an admonition for the perseverance of the saints and the need to overcome. And it doesn't say particularly what it is you're going to need to overcome. But being that it's in the book of Revelation and parlayed very closely with Daniel and followed by six seals and trumpets and bowls, seven of them, I have a feeling that some of the things that God's people have to overcome 
is persecution as they have been overcoming for some 2,000 plus years now as believers in Christ. We in America live in a unique little bubble on this planet in terms of our religious liberties and freedoms. And we take them so for granted. But a day is coming. I don't know when. But if the book of God is true and revelation is accurate and the interpretation of this divine messenger is accurate, it's still coming. And we need to know and be prepared. Let's finish this. Look at verse 25. Let's finish 25 into 26 here. And they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. So the they here makes reference to the saints of the highest one. They will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit for judgment, and his dominion, his dominion, the horn, that other horn, his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. The Antichrist, it says, for a time, times, and half a time, that would be three and a half years, and I could try to delineate on that for you now, but let's wait till we get to Daniel 9. It's kind of the, 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 the simple way of looking at that is time is one, and times being plural would be two. So you got one plus two, and then you have half of one. So that's equals three and a half, and it's talking about years. We'll get to Daniel 9, and that will make a little more sense. But for three and a half years, the Antichrist is going to have severe persecution and death against the people of God, the saints. And then it says the court of heaven will sit for judgment, just like we saw in Daniel chapter 7, verse 10, at which time the little horn speaking boastful words will have his dominion taken away and he will be annihilated or destroyed forever, as it says here, and just as we also saw in Daniel chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. So, saints of the Most High God, we need never forget that the dominion that is spoken of here, of this Antichrist, was only for a time, times, and half a time of great Antichrist persecution, where he will use his united nations to bring havoc against the people of God. But that will be <clears throat> taken away... <clears throat> annihilated and destroyed forever and just like we see from Daniel 2 the rock from heaven that smashed this vile wretched thing to pieces we see in Daniel 7 articulating the exact same truth amen now in verse 27 then the sovereignty the dominion and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. Yeah. Hallelujah. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. And all the dominions will serve and obey him. Again just like we saw in Daniel chapter 2. Remember in the days of those kings. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. 
and that kingdom will not be left for another people, but it will crush and put to an end all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true and its interpretation is worthy. Just like we see in Daniel 7, 27. How emphatic has Daniel's vision been that Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, here now referred to as the highest one, right here, now referred to as the highest one, is going to establish an everlasting kingdom in which the people of God will dwell in forever and ever. How emphatic have, been, have the visions been from the dream from, from chapter 2 to the visions of Daniel? This has been a theme. And so the first sermon that we entered, entered our toes into the water of Daniel 7, about half of that was on a biblical preview of a king in, a coming, in his coming kingdom. So if you missed that, go back a couple of weeks and see that on YouTube. It's as if God wants his saints to know that the best is yet to come. There is a coming kingdom and you need to persevere to the end. So when things get as bad as Daniel's vision shows that it's going to get, again, if you find yourself living on earth during such treacherous times as that time, time, and half a times when we are given into the hands of the Antichrist, God wants you to understand that it's not the end of the story. Remember the Lord. And we'll talk more on that later, and in particular as we get to Daniel chapter 9. And also when we get to Daniel chapter 9, I'm going to include some biblical revelation and concepts regarding the rapture of the church. You might be asking yourself, where does that fit in? More of that to come, so that we can have some understanding and some of the perspectives on the timing of the rapture within premillennial theology, which is what we hold to here at Jinx Bible Church is premillennial theology. And if you have questions on that, Pastor Matt's always ready and able and <laughs> able to handle any and every question regarding premillennial theology. I love Matt. <laughs> Well, let's finish this off by looking at verse 28, end of Daniel 7. At this point, the revelation ended, as for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me, and my face grew pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Daniel, it seems much as perhaps we might have been or are, uh, was blown away by the vision that God had given him regarding such future events. And it seems that he stored those things up closely to his heart until said time that God moved upon him by God's Spirit to write the revelation that we enjoyed as the book of Daniel. That we too might know what God wants us to know with regard to end times. Now I have a little note right here in my notes and it says, If time permits, do Revelation 13. <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not do that today. We will get to Revelation 13. Revelation 13 is an even more refinement vision of that same little horn that became a larger horn 
It's even a greater, a more refined understanding and vision from John's revelation there in the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation. You can preview that. I'm going to get to that starting next week. What we're going to do again next week. Now, are you, are, you, are, you, are you kind of getting some of your spiritual muscles built here? Right up in here? Kind of getting you bowed up right up here. So that your heart is full. Full of truth from God's word and full of a love for the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, who's coming and will bring that kingdom that we, his saints, will endure for, enjoy forever and ever and ever. Amen? So I, what I've walked through over the last two weeks is called the concurrent view or the traditional view, that recapitulative view where Daniel 7 mirrors basically the exact same information as Daniel 2. Well, there's another really faithful view that, that I want to share with you, and it's called a concurrent view of Daniel 7. And I'm going to, share, I'm going to bring that, and we're going to go through the, the entire view next week. That one's not going to take me two weeks to get through because there's some overlap between the consecutive view and the concurrent view. But just as a little preview so that you I can wet your whistle, on the concurrent view that, and how it differs from Daniel 7 is that it doesn't view the four beasts as being identical with Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. It views the four beasts of Daniel's vision as being four beasts, four major nations that are on the earth at the same time. And that the Antichrist, remember the three that he overpowers? three. So he's going to overpower three other major world powers to become the one leader over a dominant United Nations that he's the head of. The concurrent view understands that those four beasts are the four primary nations that are on the planet. The three dominant ones from the ten horns and then the beast is that other horn that arises from amongst them. And it views it a little bit differently that way. It doesn't change any of the truth of anything that we've gone through thus far. It doesn't change any of this doesn't change one thing that I've just said with regard to the traditional view. All it would do then would just add even greater specificity and more revelation with regard to the very end of times and the nations that are on the earth at that time. So that's just a little precursor of how some other faithful expositors of God's word are seeing Daniel chapter 7. But again, either way, it doesn't change any of the information, but I want you to be knowledgeable of it because I think it's a worthy exegetical approach to understand Daniel 7 as well, okay? So that'll be next week. And then I think we're going to have uh, have time at that point, Matt, to get to Revelation 13. And man, Revelation 13, again, it brings more refinement, more detail to this time. And Revelation 13 is a treasure trove. You don't want to miss it. So you need to grab your neighbor and bring him with you. You need to say to your neighbor, hey, neighbor, do you know what's ahead that you might need to be knowledgeable of? Yeah, Daniel chapter 7, huh? Trust me, let's go. So bring him with you, amen? So let's pray, and let's go let our light shine. This is still coming. People need the Lord, because only the Lord can rescue us from these things, amen?